0: Um, when we think about a new year and New Year's Eve and looking back and looking forward, uh, are there things in the past year that maybe if you had a do-over, you might do differently? Anything in the past year that maybe if I could go back and do it, say it differently or maybe not say it at all? <laughs> um, maybe uh, if I could make a different choice or be a little earlier or wait, I'd be a little more patient. Um, are there things that you would do differently, opportunities you would take that you didn't take before. I, I think about how we make choices in our lives. Every year, the, the year that's ahead of you is about the choices that you will make, the directions that you will choose. How do you make those choices? What, what drives, well, I'm going to do this instead of that? Is it that you know the right way versus the wrong way? I don't know that that's true. Because aren't there times where you knew the right way and you still chose the wrong way? so it's more than knowledge i know our world thinks it's all about education and knowledge but choosing the right path over the wrong path choosing the good path over the bad path is about something else and i don't i think that jesus really challenges on us today in the passage we're going to look at about that you know when i was in college it was that first time in my life where i was stepping out into like personal responsibility for you know, kind of everything, you know, when you eat and uh, taking care of your laundry and making sure that, you know, you get enough sleep and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember that as the semester progressed, we were at college in Florida, right on the Gulf Coast. So as the beginning of the semester, especially in September, it was still very warm outside. And so it was easy to get to these beautiful white sand, clear water beaches down in the Gulf of Mexico. Beautiful. Water's warm and everything. And we're college kids. So every day you're presented with a choice. Should I do my homework or should I go to the beach? I watched a lot of people make choices, including myself, about the beach on a daily basis. Well, I'm a, you know, I got a project and, and I got homework to do and I got studying to do and there's a test tomorrow. But there's the beach. What made the decision between Going to the beach or not going to the beach? Or doing something else, like hanging out with your friends or going to the mall or whatever? What made the decision between them? And I watched a lot of times where, you know, when the test came or the project came later in the semester, and people were like, oh, man, I shouldn't have put this off. Oh, man, I should have started this earlier. And I'm going crazy now. And I'm staying up all night to study for the final tomorrow, trying to make up for decisions that I made in the past. There's nothing more disheartening than trying to make up for bad decisions in the past, right? It's like, what an overwhelming feeling. I'm going to try to offset all the bad decisions I made up to this point. When you get down to it, the decisions that we make come from a reaction in my soul uh, based on a viewpoint that I have about life, my time, my world. And it comes down to what I believe is more valuable, more desirable to me in this moment. What I will appreciate, enjoy, and want more in this moment. That's what it comes down to. Whether you know the right thing or the wrong thing, it comes down to, what will I be glad that I did? And so many times we are deceived into thinking we'll be glad to do something that later on we regret. Isn't that what James says? The book of James says, when we mess up, when we sin, we are drawn away by our own desire, what we want. And what you want comes from what you think is valuable what you think matters, what you think you'll be glad that you got. Jesus talks about what we value often and how they affect our choices. And so we're going to dig into this study I'm calling The Words of Jesus. And we're going to look at some of these familiar things he says. Because following Jesus, if you say, I'm a Christian, I've given my life to Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then that means something. Here's what it means. You're going to Follow what he says. When Jesus says something, you're going to take it to heart and you're going to respond to it in the best way that you know how. You're going to take direction and instruction from Jesus. So to kick off this year, here's what I'm asking you. Do you pay attention to the words of Jesus? Daily, through your life, are you paying attention? Are you tuned in to the words of Jesus? So let's just give you, this past year was an election year. and There was a lot of hype about elections and whatever. And there seemed to be a lot of anger and a lot of um, pride involved in political discussions. Did you notice that? People were very, very mad, very dismissive, no finger pointing. (laughs) People were very upset about the election. Now, Jesus said this. This is how we're going to win the world. You ready for this? If someone asks you to go with them one mile, go with them two. If someone strikes you on one cheek, give to them the other cheek. Now, what was the last time that was at play in your life? And how does that affect how you deal with our political realities in this world? Like, what, what about the way of Jesus is so easy to let go of that it doesn't challenge us, it doesn't show us that it's radically different from the way of this world? And so I hope that as we look at the words of Jesus, that it shakes us, that it challenges us, that it changes us, that it convicts us, that it breaks us. Because it is way too easy, and I've seen it in churches, and I've seen it in Christian homes, it is way too easy to put the label Christian on what is actually worldly and human. Have you noticed that? We are so consumed with worldly methods of winning and getting our point across that we've forgotten that the one we follow took every wrong path to get his point across. He came without wealth or power. He came humble. He used words without standing. He never studied. He never had stature as a rabbi or whatever where where everybody recognized him. He went against religious leaders instead of bringing them onto his side. He interacted with the people who were rejects in this world. The one that we follow stepped out of everything the world would say that you need to do to be heard. And his words changed the world. So if we want to change the world, and the world needs to be changed, then shouldn't we follow him? Shouldn't his words drive our lives? So we're going to start in Luke 6. And some of the words that we see here are pretty familiar. They echo the words that we would see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat, this may or may not be the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It may be the same event, and the words are a little different. And I'll tell you one of the reasons people believe the words wind up different from one gospel to the other. When Jesus originally spoke, he spoke in a language called Aramaic. When the gospel writers wrote, they wrote in a language called Greek. So when you're taking from one language and translating it to another, sometimes you choose different words. So it may be that when you compare Luke 6 to Matthew 5, it doesn't exactly match up, but what you'll notice is that the themes are similar there. On the other hand... This may be another time where Jesus teaches. When you drive, when you go back to verse 17 of chapter 6, it talks about when he had come into a flat place, a wide open plain. Um, and some people believe that that is meant to differentiate from the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a mountain to teach, and this is on a flat place. So it could be a different time. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jesus gave the same topics more than one time. Gave the same teaching more than one time. That wouldn't surprise me uh, in the least. And so we don't know if this is actually the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a little different than the familiar Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Beatitudes because the, the Beatitudes start with this idea of blessed are. These are the ones who are blessed. Okay. So read with me these verses starting at verse 20 down to verse 26. Here's what it says. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. "...because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you already have received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors their ancestors treated the false prophets." Is that challenging? Is that confusing? Unsettling? Guess what? It's meant to be. And Jesus speaking to a crowd on a wide open flat space is speaking to you today and asking you to get your brain in gear, to get your heart tuned in, and to learn what he's saying to us. Jesus is making some really powerful points. And what he's trying to do is challenge our natural ideas. What you and I as human beings think, feel, act, interact with by default, Jesus is coming after us to challenge us about that. And he's doing it by talking about who is blessed and who is in a position of woe, danger, judgment coming upon you. Okay, So let's talk about blessed and woe. Blessed in a position of advantage, in in a desirable situation. In other words, the most beneficial most favorable position. When Jesus says blessed are, or blessed are, he's saying these people are the people that have got it made. These are the ones that you'd lo- you want to be in their position. They have the most desirable position. They are the one in the most advantageous position. On the other hand, he says woe to these. And those people are in the most undesirable position. Those are the ones that should be shaking in their boots. Woe to them. Warning to them, you're in danger, you're in trouble. So blessed and woe. When Jesus says these things, he is meaning to shock us. Shock us to the place of shaking up our way of thinking. He is making some counter-cultural points. Let's think about them for a second. Because in that culture, if someone was poor and hungry and sad that meant something about them. In the Jewish culture of of worshiping God and, and, and uh, giving your life to Jehovah, and being a, a Jewish worshiper of, of Almighty God, if you were poor, hungry, and sad, it meant God didn't like you. It meant you had done something wrong. It meant God was after you because if you were doing the right thing, God would be blessing you. And if you were doing the wrong thing, then you didn't have money and you were sad and, and, and you were hungry. You didn't have enough to eat. Jesus says those are the ones who are blessed. To be rejected by religious leaders meant that God didn't approve of you because God clearly approved of the religious leaders, right? And So this idea of what Jesus is saying is exactly the opposite of what they would have expected to hear. It is like, I've heard it described before as a thought bomb. Like when Jesus speaks, he puts something into your head and it's meant to just kind of like blow your mind up. Like all that you thought you knew and everywhere you felt settled and sure about yourself. He meant to unsettle you because he means to transform you. He means to remake you. He means to change you from the inside out through the very depths and fabric of your soul to change you so that you're different. You're not just reformed. You're not just, you know, band-aided up. You're changed. And so what's Jesus trying to say to us with these words? If I could sum it up, here's what I would say. God's kingdom has a different economy than this world. God's kingdom has a different set of values than this world. What seems advantageous or beneficial, what seems enviable when you look at it through the lens of this life and this world will lie to you in terms of God's kingdom and what's valuable and what lasts. And it will lie to you every single time. Using clear-cut human understanding, Jesus is asking his disciples to believe, by faith, that the advantage or disadvantage in this world is not how we should measure our lives. So as you go forward into 2017, kind of what Jesus is saying to you is, how are you going to measure whether this is a good year or a bad year? What's going to be your barometers? What are going to be the the, the measuring sticks that you say, this was a good year or this was a bad year? When you get to this time next year and you look back on 2017, was it a blessed year or was it a woe year? What's going to measure that for you? He uses what I would call the big four to get us thinking. What's the big four? Well, he uses money. He uses basic needs by talking about hunger. So obviously, human beings, in order to survive, need food and clothing and shelter. Um, You could even go a little further and talk about our, our physical well-being, our health. Basic needs about human experience, life. So he talks about money, obviously a thing of this world. He talks about basic needs, a human experience thing of this life, of this world. Then he talks about emotions. Blessed are those who are sad, who weep, who mourn. And he closes it out by talking about relationships. Blessed are you when people insult you and reject you and cast you out, exclude you. Those four, I would dare say, are the things that almost everybody tunes into, to find out how life is going. How's life going for you? Well, let's see. Do I have enough money to pay my bills? Am I healthy? Do I have enough money to eat? Do I have a place to stay? Do I have a place to live? Are my basic needs being met? How do I feel emotionally? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I up or am I down? And do people like me? Do I have people around me that are close to me? Jesus just went through with just four sentences the way, the default way, that human beings look at this life and judge whether this life is good or bad. How do you judge whether your life is good or bad? That stuff? Jesus says, blessed are you when you don't have it. He talks about being poor, completely dependent on the goodwill of others. I am destitute, I am helpless, I am without resource. Being hungry contrasted to being well-fed. Literally, when he talks about well-fed, having eaten until you can't eat anymore. Versus not having anything to eat. That's the contrast. Weeping versus laughter. Self-explanatory. And hated, rejected, insulted, excluded versus being well-spoken of. So if I had said to you, I'm going to pass out a sheet of paper right now. And it's going to have four, questions, four like lines on it. The first line is going to be rich, poor. Like plenty of money, no money. Little box next to each one. Hungry, well fed. Crying, laughing. Rejected, accepted. Now you check off what you want to have happen for you in this year. Which one are you going to check? I think I'll check sad. <laughs> Jesus says that's what we should check. Poor, hungry, Sad. Rejected. Why? Why would he say that to us? Because people define their lives by this stuff. Whether my life is in good shape or bad shape. And Jesus is saying, we should not be using those things to define our lives. Whether or not we are blessed. He does it by saying that when things are good in those zones, we should be on the lookout for danger. And when things are bad in those zones, we're actually in a great spot. What he's saying is, when I am in those places of poor and hungry and rejected, I am aware of my living for a different reality, a different kingdom, a different world. Because I've got nothing in this world. But, and I think you know this, when I have those things, it is this gravity that pulls me into living for those things, isn't it? So Jesus is not saying it's evil. He's using uh, a rhetoric way of talking about this here. He's not saying it's evil for those things, but he's saying, do you recognize the danger of them? Because if you and I say we are followers of Jesus Christ, that means we are citizens of heaven. If money, emotions, relationships, basic needs don't define our lives, then what does? children of God. What does? If it's not that, then what is? We say that we believe in a heavenly kingdom. We say that the values of the kingdom are immeasurably more than anything of this earth. That living for the cause of Christ and and that eternity is unbelievably more valuable than the things of this earth. That's what we say. But how do we measure our lives? do we measure our lives by what's happening spiritually in our lives or do we measure our lives by what's happening physically in our lives and so you know oh yeah i'm going to live for the kingdom of god i'm going to live for jesus i'm going to give my heart to him i'm going to trust him with everything but then something comes into my life in one of those big four categories and i cave and now my life is quickly defined by how's it going In my finances? How's it going in my health or in my basic provisions? How's it going in people liking me or not liking me? What do you actually believe? Is it something that you only believe so long as it costs you nothing or it looks like very little is at stake? Or do you believe it so much so that when you have nothing of this world that you're still considering yourself to be blessed because you have everything in the world to come? This is transformative. And Jesus, in just like four sentences, shakes up your whole life and says, What you're living for, you better be careful about what you put in that spot of, This is what I'm living for. Jesus is challenging you to stop believing with such absolute conviction that your wallet, your stomach, your emotions, and your friend list say the truth about you. Well, what else is there? How about what God says about you? Have you tuned into that recently? What does God say about you? What does God call you to? What does God say is your purpose in this life? Do you even know? Have you been tuned into that? Or am I so wrapped up in those other things that I don't have any time or attention or focus to give to what God would say about me? When we believe we are citizens of heaven, it should change how we look at that stuff, how much weight we put into the affairs and circumstances of this life. I'm not saying they all go away, and they're meaningless and pointless, and you never feel them. I'm just saying, have you been on purpose about them? Have you been on purpose about how much weight you give to those things? Or, just by default, as a human being, do you just give them all the weight? Because that's how everybody is. Again, Jesus is not saying you should never be rich, you should never be well fed, you should never have joy. He's making a pointed statement to say, stop believing in those things. Stop believing that when I say, are you blessed or not, that you should look at those categories to find out if you're blessed. Because we have had brothers and sisters. in our our spiritual family over the centuries, who have had nothing, who have starved, who have been imprisoned, who have been rejected, who have been slandered, who have been killed. And Jesus says they're blessed. Why? Because great is their reward in heaven. What reward are you living for? Are you willing to settle for ease in this life? Are you willing to settle for, like, I have enough here, and everything in my life is under control? Or does your soul hunger for a bigger, bigger prize? Eternal prize. Something that you were made for. People have suffered as, over, the, over the course of history as people of God and considered themselves to be blessed. Blessed so Jesus finds this way to call for you to make a choice. How will you look at life? What will matter to you? Are you in or are you out? Is the price too much or is it easy to pay when you consider what awaits? The call always asked for faith. Jesus always intertwined. If you're going to respond to this, if you're going to say yes to this, it's going to require faith. If you're going to walk the way Jesus is asking you to walk, it's going to ask you to stop believing what you see and start believing what He says. Are you willing to do that? you willing to plant that seed, water that seed, nurture that seed in this year and see that grow into what God wants in your life? Jesus is trying to destroy the mindset that so many in this world have bought into about what makes a good life versus what makes a bad life. What if this year, what if 2017 was the start in your life of living for heaven? What would look different if you started living for heaven instead of earth? What if for you it was the start of letting go of this life and its messages about your worth? What if it was that? What would change in you if that's what God did in you this year? Maybe you've already seen that a little bit. Maybe the the light has already begun to dawn on you a little bit. I'll just ask you this question. Does spending more money make Christmas better? There's a part of us that kind of goes, well, yeah, kind of. It kind of stink to get to Christmas morning without presents, Right? I'm asking you to see with eyes of faith. Does spending more money do anything significant for Christmas? Christmas is not about that at all, is it? Why do we act in our heart? Why do we get pulled towards that that's the truth? But we already see it. We just get sucked into it, don't we? How about this? Maybe you've seen it this way. You recognize that there are people in your life who talk about you behind your back, and you've started to recognize that they're not worth your emotional time or energy? Have you recognized that? I want them to like me. I don't want them to say that about me. I want them to say the right things about me. I want them to know the truth. And then you find out they don't really want to know the truth. So have you recognized that you can live for a different world, that your reputation in this world is not what you're after, it's not what you're chasing, it's not what you're trying to catch hold on to? So you've started to taste some of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, go all the way. Stop living like this life in this world is what's going to define whether you're blessed or whether you're in danger. And so that can get extended. There's so much more. It means that whether 2017 is a year where you're healthy or sick, you can still be blessed. Because healthy or sick doesn't define whether you are a citizen of heaven or not, does it? And you are blessed if you're a citizen of heaven. Poor or rich, whether you get a raise or lose your job, does not define whether this year is a blessed year or not, right? Whether people like you or hate you doesn't define whether you've had a good year. Whether you're happy or sad doesn't define. Those are the things of this world. And Jesus says, will you let go of them? And included in this, there are kind of two concepts, and I want to touch on these two concepts before we close, that kind of help us get traction on living for heaven instead of this world. First one is the idea of who do you believe is going to have you this year? Who's going to be your rock? Who's going to be your well-being? Who's going to be your salvation this year? Who's does it depend on for you to be okay? Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, who is your hope in? Who's your answer? And so a big theme of Jesus' words here is that God takes care of those who are helpless. God takes care of those who are helpless. Actually, we know from the Word of God that He takes care of all people who trust in Him. But those who have no other option are generally assumed to trust in Him. If I've got nowhere else to go, if I've got nothing else to do, all I can do is turn to Him, then it's assumed that I will. In the Word of God, that's kind of how it's talked about. And so the poor and the destitute and and those without power, these are the people where God comes over and over again through the people who write the Bible and He says, I've got your back. If you're helpless, if you're destitute, I've got you, I see you, I'm watching you, and I've got you. I am God the judge, and I deal in justice. And so people who are in power act like their power is durable, their power is real, it will last. But they will answer to the judge for what they do with their power. And so someone who maybe was, you know, uh, uh, just a regular person, a slave or whatever, and was mistreated by others, what God says to that person is, right now, it looks like you're at a disadvantage. But you're actually in an advantageous position because I'm on your side. And so he called that person, that downtrodden person, that person without any power, to believe by faith that they were in a better spot than the person that ruled over them even though it didn't look like it. What he says is, I have you. And if I have you, you are in a better position than you would be if you were able to take care of yourself. Do you believe that, people? That you are in a better position to be without resource of your own, but to be in the hands of our good and great God versus to have all that you need and to be able to do anything that you want to do. Which is a better life? Which is the life you want? In this passage, God watches over the oppressed and brings judgment on those who are without compassion or mercy. The rich and full here are not judged only because of their abundance. He's calling out to us the natural inclination to use what we have for ourselves. He says, you are well fed and you are rich. Woe to you because you are going to be pulled at seeing all of that as serving your appetites. You're in danger. And what I would ask for you to do with it, God says here, is look after the welfare of other people. As a matter of fact, Jesus is speaking right after having done some pretty radical things. In chapter 5 of Luke, he has just included people who were normally rejected in that society. People like this. In chapter 5, he goes and heals a man with leprosy. A man that nobody else, probably in the entire nation, would have anything to do with, Jesus heals him. A man who by definition is on the outside looking in, excluded from society, not able to worship, not able to share a meal with anyone, not able to live inside the city limits. A person who when he saw other people coming had to say, stay away. You don't want to catch what I have. All of his life, every single day. Talk about excluded. And what did Jesus do? He went and healed him. and Brought him back in. The outsiders get brought in by Jesus, right? And then he went and healed a paralyzed man, a man that that the religious leaders would say, he sinned. He did something wrong, and God judged him by taking away his ability to move. So Jesus went and healed him and gave him back his legs. And then, on top of all that, he, he saw this guy collecting taxes for the Romans, and he said, come be my disciple, I don't know if you can get the full impact of that. Someone who was working for the enemy, a betrayer of his own people, a Jew who was working for the Romans, the Gentile Romans, in stealing money from their people. And Jesus said, you know what? You, hey, come follow me. Come be a part of my group. Come be on the inner circle with me. Matthew. He said, Matthew, come follow me. Come be with me. And all of this had earned Jesus the scorn over the religious leaders. They said, he eats with sinners. How can he be from God? He doesn't even know the bad people he's around. Jesus included those who were left out, those who were misfits, those who others avoided, those who others looked down on. Jesus included them because what he did is he represented the economy of the kingdom of heaven that said what it looks like is not what it is what it looks like is a human reality, but what it is, what it really is, what it will stay and what it will be is what it will be forever. And so all these people have a soul and all these people have value and all these people I will give my life for and all these people are invited in. Will Will you and I in 2017 be instruments of God to invite people in or will we take all the advantages we have and use them for ourselves? The difference between that question is whether you believe God is holding you and whether you believe that his promises are true. Jesus says, when when you have wealth or when you have food or when you have an advantage, will you use it for other people? The only way you do that is that you believe the future he promised is coming. Not because the poor look like they're in a great position, but because we believe that those who are poor are under God's care, that they matter to Him, and since they matter to Him, they matter to me. Not because those who are mourning are are, you know, people that, that are fun to be around, but because we know that God says He will comfort them, He will heal them, that death will not be the end, but only a small part of our story. And so we enter into their mourning, and we see them as people who are worthwhile, because God sees them as someone who's worthwhile. So by faith we look past what our humanity, our emotions tell us and we dig into the truth, what God says. Hunger and shortage of food is only a reality in this life for those who follow Jesus. It will not be a reality in eternity. And rejection, just for a moment, a time is coming when all those who hate you will be silenced by Jesus. Do you believe that? Will you live that? If it's hard for you to grab a hold of Jesus' words here, maybe it's because you have a hard time trusting that God is holding you. That whatever you encounter while trusting Him is better than what would come otherwise. 2017, there are going to be some things that come into your life that you're going to be like, I wish I didn't have to face that. I wish that didn't come into my life. And in that moment, what I want is for you to hold on to this thought. Do you believe that what God just brought into my life, what God allowed into my life, and what God will do with it, is better than what would have come otherwise? Well, what if, what if someone that I love dies? How could that be better? Will you believe that what God brings into my life is better than what would have come if he didn't bring that into my life? Or not? I'm not saying I can explain it all to you, and, and you, oh, okay, now I get it. I'm not saying, do you believe that? Do you know who he is? Do you know how good he is? And will you believe that whatever he brings into your life in the coming year will be better than what would happen if he didn't bring it into your life? That's faith. The other thought, not just that God is holding you, is this. What lasts? People, what lasts? What's worth the time that you have this year? What's worth spending your time, your energy, your talent, your opportunities? What lasts jesus challenges us to live like this by believing that real value is found in living for the eternal living for the kingdom of god it means what it looks like now will not endure and so you've got things you've got to do today tomorrow in the coming year in the coming months you've got stuff you've got to do are the tasks that you are consumed with worth being consumed with do you need to reevaluate how much weight you'll give to the stuff of this world? How much energy, how much time, how much you're going to get wrapped up in wealth or words, emotions or physical well being? Having lots of this world's good stuff automatically tries to shift your focus from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world. But Jesus says when people insult you and hate you, jump for joy. Is that what it feels like? When someone says something really nasty and mean, like you should go jump for joy, Jesus says jump for joy. How do you get there? How do you do that? You do that by saying what lasts. Their rejection doesn't last. My acceptance in Christ lasts forever. Over and over again, we see this idea in Scripture. Jesus telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything in this world. Lazarus had nothing and begged outside his gates. And when they went to their eternal destination, flipped. Not temporarily, eternally. Over and over again, he uses this device. He says to us, in my kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Do you believe that? Do we live like that's true? He says, whoever wants to save their life has to lose it. Whoever tries to hold on to the life and save it will lose it. He says, what does it gain you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Jesus is deliberately calling us to disconnect from the normal human way of thinking, feeling and looking at life, if you struggle to jump for joy when people hate you, if you struggle to live and respond to what Jesus is saying here about wealth and about uh, emotions and about uh, physical well-being and about rejection from people, if you struggle to, to buy into that, to consider yourself blessed, then maybe you find it hard to believe that there's a kingdom coming where all this will look so small and so brief. Do you believe do you believe? So we're going, to call, we're going to close with a song today that invites you to experience this, to enter into the holding hands of Almighty God. And so as we start this year off, I'm asking you, what kingdom do you believe in? What kingdom do you believe is real and lasting? What kingdom do you believe is valuable? What reality drives the way you look at your life in times of need and sorrow and rejection? Is it the physical, the human, the earthly, or do you by faith see the hand of Almighty God? Do you trust Him to hold you? So this year, will you by faith see beyond the situations, the conditions of this life and rest in the assurance that Almighty God is the one holding you in this life and in this world.